Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of Travel Talks, where this week we're going to discuss our favorite ever moments from Travel Talks interviews. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, this week's episode is, of course, sponsored by Zencaster. For those of you who don't know, Zencaster is an online podcast and audio video call recording service and is an absolute game changer for remote podcasting and recording calls. Now... If you've ever wanted to start a podcast or you have a podcast going already and you want to take it up to the next level with remote recording, Zencaster is the recording software for you. And you can try Zencaster out for free to get a taste of what it offers. And if, like us, it massively improves your audio quality and production value, then you can upgrade to a professional membership and get a tasty discount by using the discount code TRAVELTALKS, one word, all lowercase, and that will get you 40% off for your first three months. So first of all, a little explainer as to why we're making this kind of best bits episode. Mm. We feel it's always good to reflect uh, on things that we've done because it's a source of motivation. It's inspiration for travel. You can remember the stories that were told, kind of get mm. that thirst, that re kind of re rejuvenation of excitement around travel. And we've also noticed that every episode that we put out, we get more listeners listening than the last one. So we've got new yeah. listeners coming back week after week. So what we want to do is give those new listeners a handy way for them to see what's already happened on the podcast, play some snippets, and then if they want, they can go back and they can listen to the full episodes. Bear in mind, if you are a diehard Travel Talks fan and you've listened to every single episode, <laughs> don't worry, this isn't going to be all re repeat content because we're going to be reflecting on each clip and giving new thoughts and opinions, that sort of thing. Yeah, so essentially the format for this is going to be um, we've, we've both gone away and we found three moments or three clips from the podcast which we've recorded that have kind of resonated with us the most the, the points that have hit us personally and kind of made us think and then off the back of each of these clips we're going to be having a kind of relevant conversation linked to the clip that was just played absolutely so the first clip I want to put out there this was from our chat with Amy Fuller the Olympic snowboarder mm. which was a great chat I'm sure we'll both agree this conversation was about how she almost failed to achieve that dream of reaching the olympics and how close to the line it came i had the craziest run-up of my life to my first olympics and i've never felt pressure like it and it definitely has changed the way in which i operate now i had a really weird run-up in the sense that i was very focused on trying to achieve something else which at the time was a world's first and I got hurt a lot on the journey uh, to qualify. So 
to qualify, you need two top 12s and you need to be in the top 24. And I just had a really, really rocky run up. So the first contest was in the US and I was hurt. So I rode through the course to get some points. You know, it's not enough. You need two top 12s and there's like 70 girls in a field. So Mm. riding through got me not very far, but some experience. Second contest, um, just wasn't feeling it. Still injured, so missed Canada. Third contest, Russia, cancelled. Fourth contest, Spain. They only ran the first run. And then it was New Zealand. And before that, I'd been in Canada training and separated the AC joint on my shoulder, grade two. So again, rocked up in New Zealand, just like not ready to perform in the slightest, which meant I had two contests left to you know really try and you know, make the Olympic team. So I'd gone from sort of the it kid who was going to make the games easily, you know, landed a world first, everything's going good to suddenly like, whoa, I've got two chances and it's December 2013. Mm. I need a top 12 or better in a really heavy hitting field right before the Olympics. And I got 11th and then I had a really stressful Christmas. I stayed stateside. I was in Canada. So stayed in North America to stay on the same time zone. And then the final contest was two weeks before. So when you ask if I remember it, I remember it very vividly because Mm. I remember sitting in that hotel room, staring out the window in Quebec, Canada, where it's minus 32. It's a howling blizzard and you've got three days of competition to get through. So day one, you've got two runs. Best run counts and I fall on the first run. So if I fall on the second run, you're going home, girl, and you're not going to the Olympics. Like, And snowboarding is volatile. Wow. It's fast, it's explosive, and anything can happen. So I had a lot of pressure on my shoulders. And actually, the Austra- my Australian friend, Tora Bright, really helped me. We ended up at the top singing, getting the good vibes going, and it almost like detracted my attention away from the pressure. So I dropped in, good vibes, landed a run, qualified through uh, to the semifinals. So that means there's 12 in the semifinals. So based on what everyone else was doing in the event, I needed a top six or better. So it went from two top 12s Mm. to needing a top six or better to qualify for my first games. So semifinals day, and I was just like a Michelin man. I was robotic in that I knew exactly what I wanted. I was the first girl up on the course, first girl through the course, and I just had my run dialed. And I put it down. And it qualified me through to the finals in fifth place, uh, which meant that I knew at that point I'd done it, I'd qualified. But obviously, you've still got to survive the finals. So I remember dropping into that final run and the sense of relief and finishing. And I actually finished the event, the World Cup, Mm. in fifth. So it was two weeks before the Games. Finished fifth in the World Cup. And I just remember calling my mum. And I didn't need the seal of approval from anyone else, Team GB or, or, or my coach even, because mm. we calculated what I needed to do to get it done, basically. And um, I called her and I will never, ever forget going, I've done it. And she's like, what have you done? <laughs> I'm like, I've done it. <laughs> I'm going to the Olympics. And um, like that moment to me was so special because of the roller coaster of emotions and the pressure, like, the pressure through that Christmas period of, you know, mm. like 19th of December right through to that first World Cup 
was like nothing I've ever felt. And for sure it's, it shaped me and changed the process in which I approached my second Olympics. And that was completely different. That was easy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I will never forget arriving back to the UK. I was in Northern Ireland at the time and I'd missed the kitting out because I qualified so late. And I remember (laughs) arriving home, putting my Team GB kit on and it was so big, but I just didn't care. I was like, yes. (laughs) So there we go, mate. We spoke to an Olympian. I think it's important to remember that sometimes, like you mentioned there about using this as motivation and looking back and I think we need to recognize that we had a chat one-on-one on on our podcast with an Olympian I think that's pretty special that's very cool a two-time Olympian as well she competed in two games but also like not just the Olympics she's achieved so much in the world of snowboarding um and it was really cool talking to her especially because like I always find it interesting and really insightful talking to athletes because they have a completely different lifestyle you know Mm. to what we're used to Uh, they they dedicate so much of their life to one thing right which is just being the best they can at one thing Mm. and achieving Mm. in it and the sacrifices they make to do that are incredible so the way they talk about it and when they talk about their successes you kind of feel like doubly happy for them because you're like you know you've you've had to overcome so much you've had to sacrifice so much to achieve it so i'm so glad that you've achieved it yeah yeah, um And uh, Amy also, like, she's so bubbly. She's got such a great kind of thirst for life. Uh, it makes those com- those conversations and those chats even better, doesn't it? And what I think is so great, although we're not athletes, we're not Olympians, we can use the determination and the dedication that they've applied to their sport and let it inspire us in whatever walk of life that we're in. I also like, from the sports angle as well, it gives you kind of a different side of travel because they're traveling for, like, a very specific purpose, aren't they? But mm. with someone like Amy being a snowboarder, destinations are so key to her success because like Mm. those snow those ski resorts need to be in the places where she is for her to be able to learn how to snowboard you know find a love for it and then say i want to dedicate my life to it if she's Mm. born you know in a different environment where there's no dry slopes for example in the uk or she doesn't move to america she doesn't move close to that virginian ski slope she might not be an olympic snowboarder now i have massive sliding doors moment exactly that those destinations are so key to what make us who we are um about where we come from and the, what we experience so that's you know it brings it all back to travel and how every travel experience is different but it has the ability to change and shape us in so many ways absolutely mate and there are so many stories from amy's episode which we could have chosen to kind of use as our clip and then spark this conversation afterwards so that, i mean there's so many stories and if you haven't listened to that podcast i would highly recommend it it's really really good so you can go back give it a listen and then let us know what you thought about it too so then moving on to our next clip alex what have you got for us a clip i'm choosing is from our chat with kinging it which i absolutely loved i thought it was absolutely brilliant i mean kinging it craig and amy for those of you who don't know they're a travel couple who live this adventurous life and document all of their travels on youtube they make some amazing videos and they got some crazy things too and that podcast was just full jam-packed of these ridiculous stories and challenges and adventures that they've done but the one story which we're going to pick out for this clip right now is their time traveling across india in a rickshaw that they bought themselves. So, so most people like go to India and they backpack it and it's mad and they're like, India's mental. But we decided to, because basically the adventurists, they, they put on these events. One of them is the rickshaw run. 
but it costs with them it's like 1800 quid uh, and it's only two weeks uh, and you don't get to keep the rickshaw so we're mm. like well we'll just go ourselves and we'll try and buy one on the street and we'll, nice. we'll spend two, two months in india so that's what we did so we, we flew into new delhi attempted to buy a rickshaw which took three weeks oh my god <laughs> but- during this time we've been like uh, somebody we saw somebody get robbed we were part of a funeral we went to a wrestling match and just yeah being scammed multiple p- times a day ended up in a brothel as well we without up, knowing yeah. it yeah it's a good, it's a good story <laughs> but that was, wow. that was before we, we got the rickshaw so it turns out you can't buy uh, a rickshaw off the streets in delhi not um, in delhi you can do it in the south but we didn't know mm. that yes. so we ended up buying one from like a showroom um, and it cost us two grand. So it was 200 pound extra than what we would have paid. <laughs> but then we paid, we, then we had six weeks then to just drive mm-hmm. through India on okay. our own. Yeah. So that was a challenge. We gave ourselves two months to get from the north to the south of India in our very own rickshaw. Yeah. Amazing. So because we'd lost the three weeks in the beginning, we had to make up time. So we were just doing these massive drives in a rickshaw, just bouncing down these dusty roads <laughs> like the 18 wheel trucks and- oh and yeah there's no rules on the road over there i don't know if you guys have been but yeah it, it, it's insane what we did like mm. people um there's a guy actually just emailed he, he's in india now and he was like i do not understand how you did it because <laughs> we, we shouldn't be here really oh man we <laughs> had a couple of so close dangerous hairy moments there like i remember slamming the brakes on at one point because this truck just pulled out in front of us I was going 40 miles an hour, which is like top speed. Mm. And uh, it's going ringy. <laughs> and this truck pulled out and I just slammed the brakes on. We both like, ah, like screaming, sliding towards it. But yeah, they don't care because it was like selfie central. And they would literally ram you off the road just to get a selfie, which which was really dangerous. But it was so common. <laughs> wow. The short, the small experience I've had of driving in countries like that, in a not in a rickshaw though. You know, I can't imagine what that's like. You must feel so exposed as well. Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. But there's so many on the road. It's oh, I, I didn't really want to drive because it was so terrifying. So Craig did a lot of the driving. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's just, it's the best way to see it though. You know, you get the smells, you get the wind, you get everything. And it, it's, it's one of the best ways you can actually see a country, I think. I think it, what was so cool about it is because the, the auto rickshaw is so iconic to India that the the guys who drive them, the I call them the rickshaw boys. Rickshaw boys. I had like a really good connection with the rickshaw boys. So Shut when up, I Craig. when I pull up next to one of them, I'm looking at them and they'd be like, hey, and I'd be like, <laughs> they pump their chest, and I pump my chest. And- it's just a good time. A lot of people thought we'd actually stolen the rickshaw, though. They're like, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we literally go what? And just look at us. And, and they just robbed it from a taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> But yeah, we ended up into mad situations because of the rickshaw. Like I crashed into a pole at one point <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then this rickshaw driver jumped in and helped us get, get us out because it was like a really busy street. And then he drove us to his tea shop and we met his whole family and he made us tea. And then he showed us like this workshop where they made shoes. And it was just, we ended up in so many cool situations because of that. And I think if we were backpacking, it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. But I think mm. we had a lot of respect from the locals because of what we were doing. They were just like, you're yeah. crazy. But, the, but the, I think the craziest mm. thing we came across was we were just sort of bumbling around uh, in the night. Was it Mumbai, where the festival? Mm. Oh, yeah. In Mumbai, yeah, was... which is a fantastic place to go to if you ever get the chance. Mm. And I think we just heard a load of noises. And I was like desperate to be invited to an Indian wedding. <laughs> we heard all this uh, 
all this palaver happening in the street over and I was like it's a wedding Craig let's go and um, <laughs> when we got there it was like there was these drums banging men with all their tops off there was like sweat flying everywhere and I was like what on earth um, and the, these guys were like come 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 so we pulled over the rickshaw um, and they sort of like grabbed us by the shoulders and, and put us well in there right into the middle of the circle um and it, it happened to be a um like a festival that was going on and there was like younger boys there with knives and they were slapping themselves on the backs and there was blood flying everywhere and one of these boys came through and he had had knives and he was like bulging his eyes out using these what? knives like big machetes yeah massive things so and, it, it turned out it was a was it a sufi uh, sufi god sufi festival um where they kind of taken on the the, the possessive of the body of the, of the dead yeah so there was like it was just a, a sensory overload of noise and yeah, banging on testosterone and and the, there was like young like eight-year-old kids who the guy would like put a coconut on his head and smash it open with a baseball bat it was, it was so crazy <laughs> we're like what are we watching and, and we're there just like oh my god and everyone else is just kind of watching like it's normal they're kind of having a good time you know just sort of dancing about and they came around with like like these rods that had pierced their tongues and people were putting money on like it was paper so unhygienic money. it was crazy <laughs> he's asking for sepsis on he <laughs> we yeah. couldn't believe it though it was incredible that is fascinating yeah it's, it's just testament as well to that what that kind of sentiment that we said earlier, which was the idea of getting out of your comfort zone. Because if you don't, mm. you never see those things. Exactly. Yeah. I know. And that was like one of those things that was totally unplanned. And another unplanned when we ended up in this another street festival was all these elephants there and like people with uh, banging drums again. And it was just me and Amy. Do you know what I mean? There was no tourists there. There was, it wasn't an organized know, thing. And they were like, so happy to see us. And they were like, come, come, follow me, follow me. And took us right into the center of things and showed us all around. And they were just so pleased and proud to show us everything that was happening. And there was, you know, there was two massive elephants. They were absolutely huge. We couldn't believe it. Yeah. Just walk into a temple. Mm. It, was, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think you're right, mate. It's, it's that comfort zone. I think what what we always say, like whenever we're going to do a challenge, it's like, unless it scares the shit out of us, then we, we don't want to do it. Get really excited. So, because yeah. mm-hmm. they're just the best trips, you know, you, you, you need that. Mm. I think we, we kind of seek that, don't we? We do now, yeah. Because I think normal vlogging, I say normal vlogging, you go into a country, showing somebody around, it got a bit tedious and a bit boring and we were like we need something more we need like we're not pushing ourselves enough by doing this so i think that's when the challenges came around we were like this is what king in it is about we love this Mm. let's take Mm. our channel more down the sort of challenge route now and And then and it writes itself then as well because you you end up in these situations Mm. that aren't planned instead of like going oh we'll go to a waterfall today or whatever Mm -hmm. you end up like seeing guys poking their eyes out with swords instead I mean, as far as adventurous travel stories go, <laughs> that's pretty strong, isn't it? Like, so good. I, lo- I love listening back to that snippet because that, I mean, that trip alone, there's some of the mm. stuff they got up to and some of the things they experienced. And not just that, what they went through, like Amy's sort yeah. of like health crisis in the middle. Yeah, um, yeah really, really interesting. I, I have such fond memories of that, that episode when we recorded that because yeah. I remember kind of like, we were vibing off each other, weren't we? Of like, yeah, oh, I've massively. been there. Oh, we've been there. We kind of like talking about these... <laughs> Yeah, these shared experiences and this like real shared passion for um these these travels that we'd had, but yeah, like their travel is next level. The the, the point where they challenge themselves to ridiculous things now is like it's actually crazy. They're not a normal couple, but you absolutely love them for it. 
Like, yeah. amazing, amazing vibe. And they, they're clearly so good, so good at creating content. And definitely check them out if you haven't done already. I think one of the most powerful things about that episode was, you know, we touched upon it at the start. Um, so if any, if I really recommend going back, listen to the whole episode, because, you know, not just... It's not just their travel stories. They're amazing. It's their personal journeys they've both been on because, mm. you know, without being around the bush, both of them almost died mm. at quite a young age before they'd done that much, done, you know, too much experiencing of travel. Mm. So that kind of shaped what they wanted to do then. And from then on, it was like, right, nothing is stopping us. And like, you have to have admiration for that because it's just an incredible story. It's absolutely inspirational. Like, like you say, like, I love the fact that they went through this real hardship, real adversity. And instead of it kind of beating them down, it gave them a new lease of life. It kind of made them stronger, if anything. And the way they view life is absolutely inspirational. And I think anyone who listens to that podcast will understand that. And me personally, listening to that conversation we had together and through watching their content as well. I mean, they're amazing people. And if you can be half as excited about life and excited about travel as they are then you're going to be living an awesome life it kind of nicely links us to the next clip because mm. one thing that craig and amy from king and it have in common with the the episode i'm going to be talking about which is chris ramsey the electric adventurer mm. is that they've both completed the mongol rally although chris <laughs> ramsey did it in an electric car from about i mean a model that's about 10 years old does not have the range of the modern day electric cars and still completed the 10,000 mile journey in this electric car and the story of how he completed it was amazing i always i always say i've said this a few times but it was the most amazing nightmare it was wonderful in every way in terms of because your obviously your other guests will have said it's it's such a most such an eye-opening experience mm. in the Mongo Rally. It is a true adventure. And if you choose to do it the right way, not to just thunder through countries and try and get to a finishing line, if you go and really immerse yourself in it, you mm. learn so much about yourself as an individual. You learn so much about the countries that you go through. And obviously you have some amazing stories to tell people, but you also have some really, really <laughs> scary. I mean, I mean, we did what we did what we did, which was which, yes, first electric car to ever do it. But there's some of the stories we heard from the other teams and the guys probably shared with you is like some of the st- score stories are scary. It's something I would recommend to people if they're if they're looking at it but just take an electric car. <laughs> One of the things that stood out to me when speaking to King in it was the list of obscure countries that they visited that perhaps they wouldn't have visited had it not been for the rally itself. So Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan and the like. Yeah. Of the countries which you visited during your time in the rally, which was your favourite? Without a doubt, Kazakhstan. Mm. Okay. It's, it's absolutely, I mean, we, we were in, a, we were in a, a slightly different position to other teams. So a lot of teams will take the route um, where when they get across into Turkey, they'll then go into Iran mm. and they'll go into all the stands, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. We were in a situation I planned from start to finish. I planned the whole rally, the whole expedition, the whole everything in three months because I was I was basically speaking to the Mongol rally for about on and off for about two, three years trying wow. to make this work and see if it's possible and see if I can enter. And then when I got the situation where my company was was offering out redundancies, I thought, you know what? This hobby is going to become is going to become my life, mm. and that's when I took the redundancy. I put everything into the rally, and and I bought a car, the Nissan Leaf, and and away we went. So when we drove through, we I was on the time restraint of wanting to get to the finishing line to get that picture to show we finished the the, the rally mm. in the same kind of time as petrol and the other cars. 
So we took the full route through Kazakhstan and not many teams do that. Some do, but that country is by far for me, the most underrated country going. It's got obviously Mm. a popular stigma attached to it, which I'm not going to, not going (laughs) to bring up, but um, as a, as a country, it is just, it is just phenomenal. It really is. And the diverse side from the West to the East, it it really is a, a truly wonderful country. And by far, I'd love to go back there and adventure around there a lot more. Tell us a little bit more about Kazakhstan. What is it that makes it so great? Do you have any particular experiences that you, you had when you were there? Yeah, I mean, uh, when we were, uh, if if you imagine the West side is basically what traditional, what people traditionally think of Kazakhstan, because when I spoke to friends, they were saying, you're going to Kazakhstan. That's just like horse and cart country. There's nothing else there. And it's dirt roads. And effectively, the West side was basically dirt roads. The tarmac mm. that's there is all chewed up and massive potholes and you basically can't drive on it. So you just drive on the fields beside the road and they are, they are doing that area up. But to be honest with you, that was, that was the fun part of it. Mm -hmm. So as we're driving through the West, as we're driving through the West side, it was the only country where I basically got in contact to make plans um, through a friend of a friend of mine who is in Kazakhstan, who has connections within the Kazakhstan government. I know that probably sounds very mafia-ish and all this kind of stuff, but <laughs> I reached out to him and he got in contact with the local postal service and petrol company in Kazakhstan. And these guys basically said, look, we'll install chargers, basically a two-pin plug, in all of our petrol stations, post offices throughout Kazakhstan. Because in that country, you literally have hundreds of maybe 200 miles between a town. In mm-hmm. some cases, maybe mm-hmm. four or 500 miles between towns. And in between then, you've just got basically petrol stations or roadside cafes or little, um, what we found was like a hostel on the middle, on the side of a road. And that was it. And that was the next thing for another 150 miles. So it was mm. traveling through that side. We, um, we got support from these people, but as well as that, we also got the local government that got in contact with us and said, right, we're going to meet you at the border at the, the ferry port. We're going to, we're going to take you to as a police escort through the West side of Kazakhstan for wherever you're going. And they, we would pull up into a town, put the car in charge at at a petrol station there. And then a whole entourage. We had this whole entourage of the local mayor, the photographers, videographers, TV crew, and then the the local high, high ranking officials. And they would take us, for a tour around their town, sports facilities and everything, just to show off what they had in this in this town hmm. and then take us for a full banquet dinner. And then wow. we'd be put back in the car and we'd be on our way again. And that when we were that was pretty much from town to town to town in Kazakhstan. So the in that west side, that was just phenomenal for driving through that dirt terrain and and we were talking 35, 38 degrees in the car. We can't use the aircon because it impacts battery range. We mm. couldn't put the windows down because the cars that were, and trucks that were passing us were chucking dirt up into the air, um, and the car just would just get full with fumes of uh, dirt. It just became such a, a, a great experience in combination of heat, nightmare, wanting to get to the next destination. But when we got there, tired and drained, these people, these lovely people, met us and just lifted our whole day and our mood mm. just changed completely and we were ready to fire on and and, and go on our next drive it was great i mean what a man chris Ramsey he is he's like the most adventurous bloke that we've had in this podcast like without doubt and the challenges he undertakes in his electric vehicles are incredible 
It's like when most people plan a big adventure like that, like an expedition style thing, mm. you know, I'm going to go thousands of thousands of miles. You go, what can I do to make it easier? Like mm. what car can I do to make it <laughs> yeah. comfortable or make it reliable or make the journey easier because it's going to be an absolute slog. What Chris does is go, how can I make all of this <laughs> 10 times harder? <laughs> yeah. uh, but then he proves to the people watching and the people engaging with his journeys that it wasn't harder. And mm. he like, he's doing so much for like the electric mobility argument. Like that electric cars are capable. If they can capable of doing 10,000 miles, you can bloody take it to Tesco. Do you know what I mean? I mean, absolutely. I mean, the amount of conversations I've had with people off the back of this conversation, I mean, electric cars, electric vehicles get brought up into general chat quite often nowadays. I mean, anytime you see a Tesla on the road, people start talking about electric vehicles and when they might get one. And the amount of people who say and are skeptical about the range or whether it's going to be possible or if there are going to be charges everywhere. Chris has given me so much ammunition to be interesting in this conversation and be able to cite his adventures and say, well, I mean, if you can do that, you can do anything like so. Right, so we're going to take a quick break from this week's episode to talk to you about Zencaster. So Zencaster is an online podcast and audio video call recording service and is an absolute game changer for remote podcasting and recording calls. Now, when we were trying to take Travel Talks up to kind of the next level, we spent ages trying to find a method that worked for the show but nothing was really hitting the right quality level that we wanted. We tried out a few different things and it wasn't really getting to the, that level. And then we tried Zencaster. And like you said, it was an absolute game changer. I love this sponsorship because it's a product we use regularly and it's ha- and has massively helped to improve the show. I mean, it records audio and video locally as you chat. And then at the end of the conversation, you can download those files without any of those awkward internet delays or interference. And it makes it seem like you're in the room chatting to each other one on one. But don't take our word for it because you can try Zencaster out for free to get a taste of what it offers. And if, like us, it massively helps improve the quality and production value of your calls, your recordings, podcasts, or whatever, then you can upgrade to the professional membership and get a tasty little discount by using the discount code TRAVELTALKS. One word, all lowercase, and that will get you 40% off your first three months. Right, mate. So our next clip... It comes from a conversation we had with a good friend of ours called Liam Masters, who hosts a brilliant podcast called Football and Feelings. He's lived in Thailand. He's a really interesting guy. But obviously, one of the issues we wanted to talk to him about was mental health and how that relates to travel. And it sparked this really deep and interesting chat between all of us, which I absolutely loved. When I was away, when I was living in Bangkok and then afterwards, I didn't un- I didn't understand mental health at all. Like, I just had no knowledge of it. Mm. I was... It was only when I came home that I realized I probably did struggle with like anxiety levels and early levels, early stages of depression when I just before I left Bangkok. Like I didn't think that it was really an issue at the time because I would just react to whatever the symptom was. And I thought that was the issue. So if I was, I don't know, if I was anxious and like my belly felt a bit weird, I'd think, oh, I must have eaten something strange. But obviously Mm. that wasn't the case or if I was feeling tired day in and day out I'd think I I don't know I'm probably not eating enough I'm not sleeping enough then I realized later down the line that that was probably my depression starting to flag up within me I thought I was just a bit down I guess so I I Mm. definitely became more open-minded after coming back and then I learned about those things and learned not to judge people because you you don't know how Mm. someone's feeling internally sometimes like 
on the podcast, like the like the happiest people, the most bubbly people I've had on. After speaking to them for like twenty minutes, I I managed to to open up these these little avenues of conversation, and like they they go through some some pretty brutal stuff that a lot of people would would really struggle to go through, and they hide it so well. Yeah, so I get I've, I've evolved quite a lot. Like I know I know a lot more about myself now. I know that. I'm very independent. I guess I, that comes from solo traveling. Like I started mm. the podcast on my own. I didn't really tell anyone. Eventually I told my friends when I launched it, but I was just going to do it again. Like we were talking about earlier, maybe in my town, I could get sucked into not doing that stuff because I'm mm. worry about what people think of you. By that point, I just didn't care. I guess I gained a lot of confidence, but on on the flip side of that other side of that coin, I feel like I've lost a lot of that confidence now from when, when I was traveling, like I, I question all of my own actions. Like it, inside my own head, it is it is absolute chaos. Like I, I second guess everything that I'm doing. Whereas my time away felt quite fluent and easygoing. And like maybe that is just maybe that's hindsight. Maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm looking looking back. I'm like glamorizing the idea of it, if you know what I mean. But now I'm like quite a anxious bloke, I guess. But Along with that, I'm a lot more mindful of how I feel, how other people feel, and I, I know what I like and what I don't like, I guess. Yeah. Mm. It's really interesting hearing you talk about the fact that you're from quite a small place and the people around you, when you take that leap of faith and start a project, you have that anxious moment where you think people are going to judge you because it's definitely something I can relate to as well. When this podcast got off the ground, my first thought wasn't, oh, I'm really looking forward to doing uh, these conversations with mm. people my mind immediately went to what are people going to perceive this podcast to be? Is this guy going to be showy? Does he Mm. want the people looking at him? All these kinds of things. Mm. So I know that I definitely couldn't have started this podcast two, three years ago from the place that I was in. So I wondered, Liam, do you think you could have started the podcast, let's say before traveling, or did you not have the self-assurance of what you're doing to make that happen? Definitely not like not a chance no way like I was um I I was just like a a product of of that town like I was just going to the same shitty nightclubs trying to impress the same people that I didn't care Mm. about listening to music that I don't even like um (laughs) just trying trying to fit in 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 whatever way possible so I you're probably right actually I've never really thought about it before I went traveling if I was to carry on that route, I, I wouldn't be doing this because I wouldn't have learned about myself and then wouldn't have learned about how other people deal with this stuff. Yeah, so yeah, good point. I never really thought about that. I'm glad now that I know that I, I broke through that barrier. But for you, when you when you started that, when you started this podcast, were you surprised at how people like welcomed it or, or did you did you still get like in, any backlash? Uh, I was surprised by the amount of kind messages there were and people who were looking forward to supporting me on what I was doing because immediately you just think to the negative and what people are going to think in a negative aspect of what you're doing but ultimately there'll be people who are lovely and support you and help you get something off the ground because I'm sure you know Liam like Mm. when you start something and you don't have an audience they're the people who need to lift what you're doing because otherwise you're, you've yeah. got no one to talk to. Yeah, yeah. otherwise you're just mm. shouting in, into the abyss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can do stuff now and not worry about what people are going to think of it because of the self-confidence of the mm. product that Saunders and I are creating. Yeah. That's, I think, what it's got to. Sorry to interrupt, sorry to take over the interview here. Um, <laughs> what about you, Saunders? Because like, you do like a lot of presenting and stuff now. And like you said, we share... We, both come from the same same county, same county. You get a lot of the same attitudes. Is that weird now, or are you so far past it? No, I mean for me, it was like 
I think about the sort of stuff I do now and, and then think about the person I was before university. And I, I, I imagine like telling me when I was 17 that you'll be doing this when you're mm. in your 20s would probably mm. send me into an anxiety attack. Like I would not want to be involved. Like I was very, very much uh, not a, a an extrovert in any way very much mm. like my, my brothers and my mum very much are so I was sort mm. of like polar opposite uh, but then I, that sort of developed and I found some confidence and I mean if I'm being completely honest even now with a, with a job that's very much you know uh, in front of camera and stuff I still have loads of issues with my own performance and stuff and my and worries about how, I, how I'm perceived and I think that's just I mean it's a number of things but I, I base, in relation to what you guys were saying as well I think that's very much a, a product of the society that we live in now you know you're always having to be the best version of yourself mm. um, and when you don't like you should hear some of my outtakes guys if I mess up <laughs> I'm like you're such a prick why are you doing that you're you messing with this one line I have to like say sorry mm. to the editors like because <laughs> yeah. I've just been like, yeah, riffing on myself. Yeah. I, I would never speak to someone in the way I speak to myself. It's, uh, it's awful. Yeah, yeah, it's my, inner, my inner dialogue is um is, is absolutely brutal. And it's, I, know, I completely agree. But it's a shame, isn't it? Because like, you know, we, we should treat ourselves with the same kindness that we treat others because, oh, you know, we, sure. we live in our own skin and our own brains. But we don't yeah. give ourselves the break that we give anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. That was one of those episodes where we had a really normal, natural chat and we were talking mm. about travel stories and, you know, his time in Thailand, that sort of thing. And then we started uh, kind of opening up about our own experiences mm. and our own feelings towards things. And I think I certainly left that episode with a bit more of an understanding of the way that I potentially, it sounds really, without saying too cliche, but the way that I treat myself my mm. own expectations mm. I hold up against myself. And I got to thank Liam for that because it was basically mm. like therapy, wasn't it? it he was it doing really such was. a good job of helping us, you know, talk about things that we don't necessarily talk about, especially as, as blokes. We, yeah, we don't talk about this stuff enough. Yeah, it was really nice. Like you say, it was definitely the moment of all of the interviews we've ever done that, that felt least like an interview. I mean, all of our barriers and walls came down and we were just chatting as three guys with a lot in common. And it was interesting. I hope that the listeners enjoyed it as well, because I felt like we were all quite vulnerable. We were all kind of being really open and honest. And it was really, really nice. And Liam, I mean, like you say, was absolutely fantastic. I think one of his strengths in what he does is just allowing people to feel so calm and at ease in his presence. I mean, I've never met this guy. You've never met this guy in real life, only digitally to be known as and lucky enough to call him as a good friend of ours now. But he just makes us feel so comfortable. Absolutely. And I would really implore anybody who's thought about living in Asia or mm. even and teaching in Asia specifically to go back and listen to that episode because Liam gives a really good overview of what that experience is like, you know, all the step by step process of how he got into that. Um, and yeah, just basically everything you could ever need to know about living in a country like that for an extended period of time. Liam's got you covered. OK, the next clip I want to talk about is from the Nick Cassidy episode. Now, yes, obviously... Nick is someone that I spend probably quite a, a lot of time with, considering that we, we both work on Formula E. He drives in it as a racing driver and I obviously mm. work in it. And there was one particular part of the episode that I was fascinated to hear. And I was quite surprised that I'd never had the conversation with him beforehand. And mm. that was when he told us about how his life was based in, in New Zealand, how when he got into karting, the travel he used to do. But then as a 16 year old, moved to Europe on his mm. own without his family to basically chase his dream of being a, a professional racing driver? I mean, travel, I think, from New Zealand's first of all, it's expensive. You know, you're looking at, mm. I think, well, at least $2,000 a 
return wow. for for an, an <laughs> New Zealand dollars for an economy ticket up to Europe, mm. and it wasn't like mum and dad at that stage of our lives were saying, oh, you know, here's a flight ticket, go up to Europe, see what it's about. Mm. That still wasn't easy stuff, and so. Like anyone, it's planned in advance and planned very carefully and there needs to be an opportunity. And luckily, that was there for me to, to go and have a test in Europe. And I think in a normal circumstance, I was 16 years old at the time. It would have been good going to a race uh, or to a test in Europe or race in Europe with my father or a manager or something like mm -hmm. that. But in terms of my parents needing to work or the cost of travel at that stage, it wasn't possible. And so, you know, I, I went off by myself, which seemed very normal at the time. Um, and I think it still is quite normal. I just look back at that thinking, I wonder how much easier that process would have been if it wasn't by mm. myself. But at the same time, that's kind of what develops me into being who I am today in terms of getting out there and discovering travel by myself, working out mm. what to do, where to go, how to be organized, how to plan. And there are things, you know, we take for granted these days, but at some stage of your life, you need to learn the process of doing that, which was then. It all went smoothly, all went good. And then I went back to New Zealand to race. So that was the end of 2011. I went back to New Zealand to race the summer of 2012, which was January, mm. before going up properly. And I was living initially with my manager at the time in Switzerland. I forget even the name of the the city, to be honest. Mm. I, I wouldn't know. I was there for two months um, and didn't know a single road, didn't know really where I was, what I was doing, but just loved it for the fact that I was somewhere completely new, just discovering mm. Mm. something new each day, right? And so um, yeah. that was quite an experience. So to uh, continue on that theme and talk about your start in terms of international racing, I wanted to ask you what kind of memories you have from that time. Do you have any travel stories, perhaps like you say about seeing Switzerland, if you could expand on that and tell us some stuff that you got up to in that time of your life, perhaps? Yeah, well, it was just little things, right? When, you know, so I was... I'm pretty sure I was 16. I was going to Switzerland and, and my manager went away from the week. I was staying there uh, myself for the weekend and he goes, oh, here's, here's the car keys. Um, you know, if you need to go to the supermarket or there's some food here, what whatever, kind of see you next week kind of thing. And um, I just remember, you know, even driving on the right-hand side of the road for the first time, <laughs> you know, getting getting to the roundabout, I definitely wasn't going the wrong way. I definitely wasn't going the right way, let's say. So, you know, little things like that are initially quite funny, uh, which, of course, we all grow accustomed to. But I was keen to go out, drive, and discover the area. We were near the mountains next to a lake in February, so everything's frozen. Mm. Little things like I, in New Zealand, would have seen snow maybe three or, three or four times in my life in, in that wow. point. I was 16 yeah. years old. And so everything's covered in snow. I thought it was awesome going out running in the snow and and getting lost and just being alone for the weekend right and so that um kind of made everything super exciting and then i think i went through a phase where i don't think i was getting homesick let's say but things were getting difficult where i was living in always someone else's back room never mm. never sure what was next um traveling I was doing former in a euro cup with a british based team so i eventually moved to the uk staying uh, in northampton and you know meeting the team uh at 2:45 in the morning because you know the 6 a.m or 6 30 a.m fly out of luton was the, the cheaper one so you'd do that yeah. and then go off to spain and, and that kind of thing and and that was all pretty cool like oh man i'll do it i'll do it all over again in a heartbeat because it's your passion right it doesn't matter yeah. what time of the day or night 
you're up, you're going to fly into Barcelona, which, you know, at the time I can only think of Barcelona Formula One, never really sure what Spain's like. You're discovering all these new things, driving uh, three hours out of Barcelona, kind of what you feel like is the middle of nowhere because, Mm. you know, between cities and and Spain, there's there's not much going on. And Mm. compared to New Zealand, that was so different for me because in New Zealand, you have all these small towns along the journey. If I think back to my karting Mm. days with mom and dad driving along, whereas in Spain, you know, you going along for an hour and a half looking at what feels like desert. It's a, it's yeah. a little bit different. And, and yeah, I think the, the, the low point was getting kind of four months in and traveling back from a race, going back to the UK in the team van, getting to Marseille. Uh, I was, you know, getting out for the passport check and, and uh, just took my passport, no wallet, no phone, you know, went inside, mm. um, back, back in the van. I think a lot of the, the team crew stayed in the van almost. I got told, not. Nah, I'm not going to the UK. I've overstayed my three months. And the team were like, sorry, we've got to go. See you later. Wow. And so, wow. yeah, that, that were off. I was um, <laughs> 17, no phone, no wallet, nothing, just sit, sitting there with my passport. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there were these high, mo- high points where it was really exciting to be in Europe. And then there were some moments like this where all of a sudden uh, – things weren't so easy so you certainly got a, a taste of both how how quickly would you say you got used to that the, the idea of you know not just the travel but the, everything that comes with it yeah i think i went through a quite hard three four months which at the time uh i i didn't really see it as like a problem related to travel i was more so focused on my career that the travel was a secondary thing mm-hmm. but it's i guess it comes now where you you're sitting here I mean, I'm talking like I'm 50 years old. I'm 20, <laughs> 26, guys, so don't worry. Um, but yeah. but I, I even look back at that now as, what, eight, nine years ago and think, damn, I, I saw a huge amount, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it probably took me that three or four months. It was pretty hard, but was so focused on my career that it was just part of it and I didn't really see it as a, too much of a negative. And um Ultimately, man, I think it made me stronger. I think you know, mm. you go through that stuff and it makes you stronger. What a guy Nick Cassidy was. I mean, some of the stories he told across that podcast were amazing to listen to, but this story in particular, I think it kind of, we can relate it again back to the Amy Fuller conversation we had in a way about how athletes kind of put so much on the line, but to hear it firsthand about the living conditions he was in, the people he was living with regularly, the fact that he kind of left as a 16-year-old, I know personally... I mean, to move across the other side of the world, I'm not ready for it yet as a 25-year-old. So as a 16-year-old guy who's like not at all developed to be picked up and taken away from all your friends and family and plonked down in the middle of Switzerland, it's, he's so brave. And I think it just shows how much he wanted that dream. For sure. And like, I think, you know, what we go on to talk about in the episode, if you go back and listen to the whole thing, is how much he has achieved since then. He had mm. That kind of punt to go across to Europe yeah. on his own. I think living with his like great aunt or something before after yeah. Switzerland, then living with yeah. his great aunt in like a box room in the middle of Milton Keynes. Yeah. You know, real, you know, it's not exactly the sort of uh, start to your late teens and twenties that you expect, is it? Mm. But his resume now, he could be 50, the amount of stuff he's done. Yeah. The amount of championships he's won. He's literally the king of Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese racing. He's won like everything. Yeah. Um, and yet still going on to bigger and better things. Like, a really, really good chat with Nick Cassidy. 
Right, mate. So the final clip is from our most recent episode and an episode I absolutely loved. I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we both made no secret of it. We absolutely love Robbie Knox. Funny bloke. Millions of stories. I mean, we could have chatted to him for about five hours, but we did an <laughs> hour and a half bumper show and it was absolutely amazing. But the one clip that I want to arc back to is is when he convinced me, and I genuinely do think he's convinced me, why I should go skiing. Okay, it's the it's the best holiday. It's it's I would I would happily never go on another summer holiday and go skiing once a year or something. Like that. Wow. Okay. Um, it, I get bored on beaches. I think I'm mm. going to like it, and I go, oh, "I'm going to do so much reading." But when you've read for like four hours, yeah. it's like <laughs> I'm quite bored of reading. This is yeah. not. A, I like reading, but I don't like reading every day, all day. <laughs> what what I like about it is it's you're doing something. It's an active. Um, it's an active holiday. It's not just mm. you you sat around, um, and everything is beautiful. Like there's some, even yeah. like the sort of. 60s ski resorts that are a bit or 80s or 80s ski resorts that aren't built in the sort of chocolate box thing it's still anything with snow on it is lovely sort of thing Mm. they're they're beautiful places if you like good food good drink um just just a brilliant day and you'll you'll get up go out on the mountain have fun go to a bar afterwards have a drink maybe go and get changed um go get some food go out and some of the nicest meals i've ever had have been on the mountain that you can't mm-hmm. get to unless you ski to them like these little wow. mountain huts you'll find and have this amazing like fondue or something else and that you you there's no way to get to it without skiing it's halfway down a mountain see this is what i love good. about robbie he says it good. how it is i've been trying to convince you about skiing alex for so long it's activity holidays like skiing that honestly is nothing better my concern, right, Go on. is it, it'd be too cold. I, I'm thinking, I don't like being cold. I'm thinking my hands are cold, my feet are cold. Is that completely not the truth? There's never bad weather, there's only bad clothing. You've made the wrong clothing choices <laughs> there. If you've got enough layers on, you can be toasty warm, whatever it is. Just have the right, have the right gear. It's, it's a, and there are days yeah. where it's less fun if, if mm. it's freezing and the snow is pelting down and you can't see it's less fun than another uh, day but go you go march i've skied in t-shirts before uh yeah, it, wow, it's okay. it's it doesn't have to be because you've got the snow base there and and mm. and if, if it's like if the sun's out you can get sunburned skiing do you know what i mean it's it's yeah. it's it's wonderful i i like i'm a big fan of spring skiing and the last two big trips i've done i went to whistler for a reunion 20 year reunion uh, a couple of years ago and then last year I went, I managed just before the pandemic to go out to Telluride in Colorado skiing. And that was, um, that was actually fantastic. But um, that we go March and then it's beautiful. You've got lovely sunshine. You can sit outside in the sun and all that sort of thing. It's, it's, you don't have to be cold. Exactly. And you even on those days where it is rubbish, you know, and it's like snowy and cold, the following day, the snow is better than ever because it's had a fresh powder as you're yeah. loving life again. And if it's bad, you just, if it's, if there's a bit where it's a bit unpleasant, you just go and sit inside, have a hot chocolate or a van show and, yeah. and have a chat. And it doesn't, doesn't matter because you're still in a glorious mountain. Van show, that's a hot wine for anyone that's not Yes, cultured. or glue vine <laughs> Van show yeah, for us. Right, I'm putting this out on the table right now, mate. <laughs> no is not an option here. If this that ski trip that we talked about making in that episode towards the end of that episode, the kind of YouTube uh, ski trip, you are coming on it and you are enjoying it. <laughs> I'm in. Sign me up. Honestly, I'm genuinely so keen for that. 
And the fact that Robbie's kind of said, I can spend a bit of time on my own learning how to ski. He's not going to kind of judge me. That, that kind of communal trip that Robbie organized when he was like chartering coaches, you just know he's going to be an awesome tour guide. He's going to be an amazing travel agent. It's going to be so well organized and it's going to be a great time. All of those stories in like North America and Canada and, you know, what they got up to in the evening stuff. That Has it made you, honestly, has it made you think, oh, I want to go skiing now? Genuinely, like 100%. I mean, I don't know what it says about me that the fact he's kind of giving me a peek behind the curtain at the nightlife is the is the one thing that's ticked me over <laughs> to being like you know what that sounds actually really cool but genuinely like going out on the slopes i think once i had some sort of ability would be would be much more fun but the idea of kind of being in such an environment with all your friends having a great time uh genuinely genuinely does appeal to me and sign me up if any big trip ever happens good 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 glad to hear it i challenge anybody listening right now as well who's had similar tendencies to you and thinking oh i don't want to go skiing i don't mm. like the cold listen to that episode and if you can listen to that episode and still say nah not for me then fair play but i don't think you will so there we go mate i mean what what a show that was to look back on all of those moments has kind of given us a new lease of life i feel like motivated us some of the people we've spoken to some of the amazing stories we've heard have been awesome Absolutely. And for the listeners, hopefully that gave you a taste of, well, at least just the most recent episodes. There are, of course, though, plenty more where that came from. So the next bus journey, train journey, you know, afternoon, you're cleaning your house, whatever it is. I know that's how you like to listen to your podcast, (laughs) mate. (laughs) Listen, Listen back to the earlier episodes because you might just find that inspiration for future travels or you might learn about a destination that you've never heard of and could be your new favorite place. Yeah, I love it. And obviously, if you've got this far into the podcast, then hopefully it means you've really enjoyed it. So honestly, word of mouth with podcasting is one of the most effective yes. ways to share a podcast. And I kind of think people overlook it now with the, with the days of social media, people put their focus on that. But word of mouth, if you love travel talks and you kind of think, I know a friend who also likes traveling, who loves stories and loves funny moments, who might be interested in this podcast, please share it with them. And also, if you haven't done leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because it goes such a long way to increase our ranking. So whenever someone searches for travel or search for a new podcast that links to what we've done, ours gets put forward for them. Exactly. And as we've kind of covered in this episode, it's not just about friends that like travel. If you like, if you know somebody that likes the Olympics or like snowboarding mm. or skiing or motor racing or, you know, um, te- or always think so, or, you know, someone that's thinking about teaching abroad, like we cover mm. so many different topics by the people we have on the show. So if it links with the interests of people, you know, let them know, send the episode their way so they can have a listen. Lovely stuff, mate. And of course, we'll be back next week where we've got an awesome episode lined up. We're back. We've got another guest lined up and it's the South African YouTuber and a good friend of yours, Emma Walsh. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.